podcast starts. Hello everyone and welcome back to And Now The Podcast Starts, a show which talks about horror, cinema and anything related that takes the interest of my wonderful co-hosts or myself. I'm T.D. Velasquez, but as always you can call me Dan in Greater Manchester, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by... Stella, also in Manchester. And what's the weather like where you are, Stella? <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. Um, hang on, <laughs> let me open the curtains. It is grey with uh, a chance of grey later on and slowly changing to more grey, I imagine. Yeah. That sounds like the northwest. Yeah. That sounds like my childhood. <laughs> um, uh, wonderful. I'm looking out the window and I can see some trees blowing, but they they look like they can only half be bothered to blow, to be honest. Um <laughs> It's not very exciting, but at least it's, it's not, not very not exciting. It it's down. not as exciting as when we were dying of heat. No, now it's no. just miserable. <laughs> the important thing is we keep finding new ways to complain about the weather, whatever it's like. That's oh, yeah. the British way. So. <laughs> um, I need to apologise to the listeners because at the end of the last episode, I promised that uh, we'd all be talking about the movie The Black Cat this week. Um, and we'd be joined by a special guest, Spider Dan, from the Spider Dan and the Secret Boys podcast. Um, sadly, that all that plan has changed. Um, Spider Dan had to drop out at the last minute, and also, very sadly, we, uh, we're missing Kirsty this week. She mm-hmm. had some conflicts, so we've had some changes of plan completely. Um, but instead, we're, well, we're still going to have some Spider Dan on the podcast, funnily enough, because we're going to be... Um, running our review of Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers from 1988, which we recorded um, a couple of years ago, but has never been released before. So it's myself and um, Howard and Spider-Dan talking about that movie. Um, And then next week, we're going to follow it up with the same team talking about Halloween 5, um, which struck me as appropriate because those two movies are kind of made back-to-back with the same cast. Um, So it it seemed a good idea to just put those two reviews out. So that's what we're doing. So, um, so listeners, you are getting some Spider Dan, as promised, but just know um, the Black Cat, Lucio Fulci's The Black Cat from 1981, we're all going to watch and discuss. We haven't done that. We will get back to it, though, later on for any fans of Italian horror movies in the listenership. Um, In the meantime, I'd like to say, you know, obviously... I've been speaking to Spider Dan. He's fine. It was just um, a work conflict that he couldn't make it. Um, I've also had a chat on the phone to our um, mysterious and never appearing <laughs> in, in live form co-host Howie um, over the weekend. He'd like to assure all listeners that the reason that we only ever include him on archive recordings as such... It's not because he's dead. He's absolutely <laughs> fine. Um, he's just um, he's at home in Whitchurch, um, isolated with his parents who are vulnerable, and um, the, there's no Wi-Fi available to him, so it's very difficult to get him live on the show. Um, but, you know, we've had a chat, and we're going to try and include him a bit more somehow going forward yeah whenever we do a halloween review he will be there because he recorded all of those uh with us a couple of years ago um so you're gonna hear quite a lot of them over the next couple of weeks anyway um cool yeah and that it was really good to to catch up with howie and also to to speak to 
um, Spider Dan, who was very enthusiastic about coming on the show, um, <laughs> and and he will eventually <laughs> come on the show live. Um, I'm sure. In the meantime, yeah, there's there's more of him to come with the Halloween reviews as well. So, Stella, have you got yeah. news from horror or life that you'd like to talk about this week? Two little bits of horror news, one of them um, relating to Halloween and one not. So the Halloween one, um, I saw across social media the last couple of days that Halloween Kills, so the next Halloween one to come out, has been put back, unfortunately. Its release has been put back to October 2021. Um, yeah. However, they have released a short teaser trailer, which you can easily find if you do a quick search online, um, which looks great, so it's sort of answers what all the sort of fan chatter was after the halloween um that was what 2018 was it 18. Yeah. yeah um so it answers the fan chatter or the fan theories that people were thinking about kind of um it's got i mean the, the teaser trailer doesn't give anything away about the end of the last halloween um essentially yeah, jamie lee curtis screaming let it burn as uh, the yeah. firefighters go screeching past um obviously it's got the lovely halloween theme music on it um so yeah i had a look at the teaser trailer when seeing that the halloween kills has been delayed until 2021 because of pandemic issues but yeah the little teaser trailer it's only could only be 20 seconds long but it was enough to make me go ooh. <laughs> so that's right good. yeah i've heard that maybe it's actually just the opening of the movie um, it looks that first... way, to yeah, be honest, because um... it looks like it's just picked off, picked up from where we left off. Um, so yeah, it might just be they're just showing us a little bit of the intro, but what they've shown us looks looks good. Everyone looks cool. in it looks suitably horrified and traumatized. So that's that's what we're there for. Yep, yeah, I'm excited about <laughs> that one. I'm glad you mentioned that, although yeah. it was. Some news that I wanted to talk about as well. Ah, Because um, I just found out this morning. Uh, well, no, because we've covered it anyway. And um, I've just mentioned that, you know, we are doing the Halloween reviews this yeah. week and next week. Um, so because I've been editing those, I've been thinking about Halloween for the last couple of days. <laughs> and um, and then suddenly I, I, I got up this morning and heard that the new film's been delayed for a year. Yeah. Oh. Um, and it's like... <laughs> I, I've, I'm on this kind of two-year process of um, <laughs> frustrated plans because we originally recorded all our reviews designed to lead up to the release of the 2018 film. Yeah. But then that didn't happen because I couldn't get them out quickly enough. Um, and now I thought, oh, well, we'll we'll, we'll, re we'll release them all to lead up to the 2020 film. Uh, and now that film's been delayed. So It's cursed. <laughs> so we, we still have... Uh, six more reviews after these two that are coming out now. So maybe we'll spread them over a whole yes, year. Yes, if you really um, drag it out, that'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, so, um, but I was kind of, I was looking forward to um, uh, you know, in October this year, if the new film did come out, you know, I, I was hoping that we'd be able to get together and we'd yeah. do, um, go to the uh, cinema. Yeah, and 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 obviously review the new film, but also before reviewing the new film like make, do an episode where we'd have a chat looking mm. back on the, all the films that we've seen before because it is obviously two years since we've talked about them uh, on the in the recordings um so I, i'd just kind of like to have done that but obviously even if the film did come out i, I don't know if we'd be able to all get <laughs> together in the current well, situation yeah um so uh anyway we adapt and Heaven knows there's plenty of Halloween sequels that well, we've not yeah. published podcasts on yet. <laughs> so um, that will uh, flow through fine. Um, yeah. 
And um, yeah, I haven't seen the uh, the twenty second teaser yet. Actually, I've heard about it. Um, obviously, um, so I'm not sure I will, I will watch it. Uh, even though I hear from you and and from others that it it sounds great, um, just because I probably want to see the movie, and I don't <laughs> necessarily want to get myself really excited about a film that I'm not going to see for more than a year. I know, yeah, well, as long as that fourteen months away, yeah, that's quite the yeah, wait. <laughs> so yeah, oh well, we'll yeah, get there. there we go. Uh, did you say you had some other news? Yeah, the other one's just a little um, thing that I saw, again, sort of kicking around social media yesterday. Um, it looks like there's a new uh, Constantine live action being in the works at Warner Brothers, um, supposedly okay. directed by J.J. Abrams. Oh, so right. I guess that'll be, might be all style and no substance, but we'll see, because I really enjoyed the first Constantine film in 2005, I think it was, with Keanu Reeves. Um, yes, until the current Swinton. chatter about this new one isn't entirely sure whether it's a, a brand new reboot of it or if it's going to be a sequel with Keanu Reeves. Um, I'm hoping for a sequel with Keanu Reeves because who doesn't like Keanu Reeves? Um, sure. So, yeah, so that's exciting. So that's been hopefully slowly being made. But I guess, you know, with pandemic and everything being delayed and stuff, that might be a while before it's actually out. But yeah, it would appear that it's fitting with Warner Brothers and sort of the rest of their other sort of DC um, movies that they've been up to and have got sort of planned for the future. So yeah, I'm glad they're bringing Constantine back because it's a definite favourite of mine. Oh, cool. Yeah, Constantine is um, the Hellblazer comic book, isn't it? Yeah. And they changed the name for the movie, and I think they made a TV series as well. Yeah, one season, and then it was cancelled. I've not actually seen it, um, so I don't know if it was cancelled because it was crap or if it was cancelled for other industrial reasons. I don't know, but um, yeah, I should I should have a look at it really because that's that's my my, my job. Am I, <laughs> am I right in? Well, um, uh, well, I'll leave that with you. Um, yeah. No criticism from me. But am I right in thinking that John Constantine is a character from The Sandman? comics uh i feel like i i, po- I have uh, possibly read some of those and i think he turned up in them um oh, maybe. unless i'm thinking about someone else um okay. somebody fact track that ch- somebody I, fact I, I, check that for us <laughs> yes please do um might have to be me <laughs> and uh, I, i've always assumed that the reason they don't call the movies hellblazer is because it sounds too much like hellraiser hellraiser yeah um but uh, again i don't know if that's a fact Okay, but that's, that sounds good fun. I've yeah. got one other bit of news. Yeah. Which is um, uh, on one of the very early episodes of our podcast, we talked about um, the director Rob Savage and um, his short lockdown horror movie that um, you can still see online and that um, Kirsty and I went into detail on because it's only about two minutes long. Yeah. So, uh, so we had a, um, a spoilery discussion of it. Um, it's just been announced that Rob has been asked by Shudder to Ooh. not expand the short, but to make a feature-length film um, along the same lines, basically a Zoom-based horror movie. Right. And it's going to be released on Shudder on the right. 20th of this month. Oh, um, so well, that's they, quick. They, yeah, absolutely. They've written and produced it in three months flat, and um, it's a full-feature movie. Um, and yes, it's exclusive to Shudder, um, and it's only a couple of weeks away. So um, oh. that's, oh, that's very good. exciting news. And uh, yeah, um, 
that's that might be like a record breaking turnaround for it a feature be. film. Um I think certainly uh <laughs> certainly since Roger Corman made Little Shop of Horrors in two days flat. Anyway, yeah. and um <laughs> can't think of anything else quicker. Um so that's amazing. Um yeah, so cool. we'll keep an eye on that. But yes, yeah. it's it's um it's twentieth of sorry, it's the thirtieth of July. This month. Um uh this month that it premieres on Shudder. So there's um uh there's a an excuse to go and take out a Shudder subscription. Yeah. There's a lot and of good stuff get... on Shudder to be fair. I mean I don't okay. think it's that expensive and I you get, have my you subscription. You get a free on trial off. of a week. Yeah. As well, at the moment, I don't know yeah. if that's always the case, but yeah, we've got tons them. of movies. They've always got new stuff coming on, and they've made some of their own series as well now. Um, Dead Wax is particularly good about somebody searching for a haunted record player. It's a bit like um, the the video in in uh, what's it called? In the ring. In the ring, yeah. Um, right. Okay. Listen, listen to the record and you die kind of situation. What else is on there? Um, they brought back Creep Show. George Romero's. Version yeah, of they've Creepshow. made that into an anthology series, yeah. have they? Right, yeah, okay. and they've got um, Channel Zero on there from the Sci-Fi Channel, which is based on the some of the creepy pastas online. So yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff over on Shudder, and I don't think it's that expensive for for what you get, to be honest. I think I'm definitely going to give. <laughs> no, but I, yeah, um, I can I, I can sense the sincerity. Um, yeah, I, no, I'm definitely going to give it a free trial at least. Yeah. I might. Leave it to time it um, for when host yeah. is premiered, so I can definitely see that. But um, yeah, sounds really good. So yeah. yeah, and that bit of news was via Kirsty. By the way, I didn't know oh, about right. it until Kirsty sent me the link, so she asked me to include it. Um, and uh, and yeah, that's something to look forward to. Okay, so um, shall we hand over to myself yeah. from the past and Howie from the past and Spider Dan, yes. who, by the way, when we recorded this particular um, episode. Spider Dan hadn't um, started his own podcast yet, so wasn't yet going by the the moniker of Spider Dan. <laughs> uh, we might co- have called him Dan B because there were two Dans on the show. So it was, right. so I was Dan A and he was Dan B. Um, <laughs> but please be assured, it is Spider Dan whose podcast um, is still going out weekly. He hasn't been interrupted um, during the. Um, the pandemic and uh, i was just listening back this week he did a good episode about um not this week's episode but i've been going through the backlog because he just arrived on a cast which right. is my podcatcher and before he was he wasn't on there so i couldn't listen to him very easily um and uh, but i went back and like he did an episode about the aliens comic books all the comic books set in the aliens universe and that was that was quite cool anyway he's he's going to be here right now through the bounds of time so. <laughs> So uh, we'll hand over to the past and listeners, uh, Stella and I will be back at the end of the show with our customary recommendations and wrap up. So at the moment, enjoy our talk about Halloween 4.
Today we'll be talking about Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, released in 1988. I am your co-host Howie. I am your co-host Dan. And once again, we are honoured to be joined by the marvellous secondary Dan on the podcast. Hello again. Hello Dan. It's good to be back. Nice to see you. Thank you. Welcome back, Dan. But nobody can see us. No. That's the magic. Just as well. Because we look horrendous. (laughs) (laughs) To to quote John Carpenter, what a bunch of ugly losers. (laughs) He may not have been been talking about us, but... Uh, last time we were here, we talked about Halloween 3, Dan, which you had not actually seen. Yes, um, don't worry, this time I, I have seen Halloween 4. Superb. And and some subsequent ones as well. Oh, um, so I've caught up, so I do, I do apologise for my lack of, uh, not knowledge, but I'd say lack of kind of recent viewing, I would say. But I, I, st- I, cannot, I can talk um, shit a lot, um, <laughs> I've found, when I do or do not know about something. So so that is one of my gifts. I know, I have to say, Dan, having not seen the film recently, it did not in any way dent your performance. Oh, why, think, why thank you. Podcasts. Too kind. Too kind. two podcasts. But you have seen this one. Have you seen this film recently, Harry? Uh, no, I've never seen it before in my life. Yes, I saw it. Uh, <laughs> yes, I saw it recently. Yes, I did, yes. Okay, great. And uh, I enjoyed it. As did I, and I also uh, read some of the script um, because I wanted to, to do a bit of a deep dive on Halloween 4. Um, so what we tend to do at the start of each episode is talk about how we first saw this movie. And Dan, Dan B, you are the guest. I am the guest. Uh, okay, so again, I what first time I watched it was uh, my mum's boyfriend, I think I said this last time, let me basically the entire Halloween franchise up, up to that point. I think that was, it was probably up to six, I think. So I saw it, I probably saw it then. I didn't remember it that well, um, but I was kind of binging them at the time, so they all kind of bled into one a little bit, especially the last three, I think. Um, but yeah, uh, it's... It, I enjoyed it, I think. I didn't I didn't hate it uh, when I initially saw it. I, you know, it's just like, it's a Halloween film. There's a lot of killings. So... Um, because you'd been allowed to binge on this collection mm. of horror movies, did mm. you watch the franchise in order? Yeah, so yeah, so I was kind of he basically gave me a he's he's very he's a bit of a horror aficionado. He's got tattoos of Michael Myers, Pinhead, a zombie Batman. So that's kind of his oh, right. his his jam, if you will. Um, so so yeah, he lent me that, and I think he bought me uh, the the the. Uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street uh, franchise as a box set as well, and I've been kind of binged all those as well. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was good and uh, interesting uh, at the time. Again, like just I, my memory of watching it the initial time isn't that great. Um, but I yeah again didn't hate it, didn't didn't uh, didn't you know. Yeah, it was it was it was fine at I, the time. I was quite I was quite young, so I was, it was just I think a lot of those kind of franchises kind of meld a little bit mm. after you, because there are so many of them. We can not taking anything away from the films or any of the other franchises, but it does kind of they do kind of meld together. Yes, and my memory doesn't hold up that well. <laughs> no, <sorry>. Tell <laughs> me about it. <laughs> I think I possibly did hate it when I first okay. saw it. But we'll go into detail on that in a, in a moment. Harold, what about you? Well, actually, I can't remember the first time I saw this. Uh, seven or eight years ago. I think I probably bought it from a charity shop. I think I'm, I think I mentioned in the last one, uh, one, last podcast we did, that I watched Halloween with my nephew, and he absolutely loved it. He loved he loved Michael Myers and the whole film, and that slightly reawakened my interest in mm. Halloween as well. And yeah, it's a great and Halloween too as well. 
So I thought, well, if I ever, you know, see Halloween four, five, and six for sale, I'll uh, I'll buy them and have a look at it. Hmm. So yeah, I can't yeah. exactly remember what it was. It was a few years ago, and I bought it and watched it, and so yeah, this is. I mean, I don't remember it coming out. In, it came out in 1988. I don't remember because I was at like a six one college, just got to start a six one college, and I started going to the cinema hmm. quite a lot. Uh, but I don't remember this. I mean, we went to see um, Hellraiser two. I remember. Oh, Hellbound. Hellbound, was it? Yeah, <laughs> Eggbound. And um, one of the Nightmare on Elm Streets, but I don't remember anybody ever saying, do you want to go and see Halloween 4 mm. or it coming out yeah. or anything. So I don't think it was a big thing, was it, when it came out? I don't think it was a... Possibly. Was it straight to video or something like that? It was. Um, no, it wasn't, but it possibly wasn't a big thing in Britain. Mm. Right. It, it did get a cinematic release, um, but it, I think possibly most of the, uh, the the impact it had and money it made was in America yeah. and, and other territories because Halloween 5 did go straight to video in Britain. Whereas it was cinematic in America, I can understand that. So, <laughs> but I, I feel like, uh, regardless of um, what we might say about the quality of Halloween Five, which is obviously for another episode, um, I think if Halloween Four had been a massive thing in Britain, then Five would have followed hmm. its way to cinema. Yeah. It only came out a I year mean, later. The Halloween films are quite quintessentially very American, yes. aren't they? They do have yeah. a kind of Norman Rockwellian feel to them, especially Haddonfield itself. Um, so I can see why it wouldn't necessarily, you know, sell over here and maybe the rest of kind of Europe possibly. Well, there was also it was a long time after Halloween. It was like nineteen eighty eight, like ten years after the first one, yeah. which was a massive success, and seven years after the second one, which I think was a success as well, mm. wasn't it? Really? Yeah. yeah. But that's kind of like a long time. A lot of other things had come along. Yeah. The Nightmare on Elm Street had come along. Friday, Friday, Friday the Thirteenth, yeah. yeah. sort of stuff had happened. So maybe Halloween had kind of got a bit sort of lost in yeah. the. You know, lost in the pack kind of thing, it was whatever. Slightly so, the, more, the more of the classier slasher movies as well, and everything else was a bit more about the slowly got more and more kind of gory and more yeah. about the bloodletting. You mean Halloween was the classier? Yeah, sorry, does that? Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. Halloween is the the classier, more kind of subtle and haunting. Possibly, yes. possibly it was up to this point. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is when it changed. Huh. Okay, well, I mean, yeah. So uh, to um, yeah. To just elaborate for a bit on what I said about my, my initial hatred of this movie, I, I watched it 20 years ago. Okay. And by the way, this movie is 30 years old now. Good it, heavens. There's a, a raft of 80s nostalgia happening because obviously every year something from the 80s is 30 years old. It comes back. And huh. movies... Just when you thought the 80s were dead. <laughs> yeah. The pole tax. No, they don't die. <laughs> but I, I think it's... Um, Obviously, the uh, the fuss around Halloween now is is it's the 40th anniversary and the new mm. film is the 40th anniversary sequel. 40 years, 40 years, 40 years. But it is 30 years since Halloween 4, and I guess Halloween 4 is um, a nostalgic memory for a lot of people of a certain generation. And it wasn't really for me, because mm. uh, I discovered it on... Um, basically, in 1998, um, I, I think I'd seen Halloween 1, 2, and 3 as I explained in the earlier episodes, and I decided that I didn't want to watch all the others because I, I, I knew they were terrible or I'd have been told they were terrible or read they were terrible. But at the same time, every time I watched one, I, I kind of wanted to see the next Where one. Where the story goes. And then um, the news came through that the 20th anniversary sequel, Halloween H2O, mm. as we call it in Britain, whether anyone in the production company ever intended to be called H2O because mm. that's a stupid name, yeah. I don't know, but it was coming out. 
So I thought, well, now's the time to watch all the other sequels and get them out of the way. And Halloween 4 was on Sky TV one night. And when I first saw this movie, I was kind of cautiously hopeful. I was hoping that it might be more like the original than Halloween 2 was. Mm. And in some ways, I think you could argue it is. But it's also less well-made, and that was the thing that kind of mainly hit me at the time, that it was most of the production finesse that I enjoyed about Halloween and Halloween 2 had just kind of gone. Mm. So I didn't really enjoy it, to be honest. Um, And I was kind of aware that Donald Pleasance was looking particularly old in it, that he had a cow on his face that was supposed to... Fried egg. Yes. Mm. (laughs) Um, And that he didn't seem that enthusiastic. I, some of the performances I did like, um, but I, I didn't watch the whole film again for 20 years because of the hoopla going on now mm. and because of becoming aware of uh, the fact that so many people have a nostalgic place for these movies. Mm. I wanted to watch it again and kind of reassess it. And I did watch it again and I enjoyed it, actually. Um, yeah, I think it's it's quite a charming film in some ways. Mm. Ten years ago, on the night of October 31st, a small Midwestern town fell victim to an escaped killer. Under the cover of darkness, he carried out the most horrifying mass murder on record. Sixteen people in cold blood. Ever since that night, no one has forgotten his name. And Halloween has never been the same. Now, Michael Myers has come home. He has returned for one more night of unholy terror. here to kill that little girl and anybody who gets in his way. Oh, God. Who's going to be next? Ah! Halloween 4, the return of Michael Myers. Maybe nobody knows how to stop him. So let's talk a little bit about why the movie was made and and where the franchise was up to at at that time. Um, So basically, we'd just come off the back of Halloween 3, or rather six years before um, Halloween 4 came out. Halloween 3 came out and, as we discussed last time, was perceived as a failure, although it did make money. Um, And it had been a radical departure from the series. John Carpenter and Deborah Hill saying, no, we we don't want to do Michael Myers, we don't want to do a traditional sequel. It was considered a failure. So the other financiers of the Halloween property had the leverage to say, actually, we think we should have Michael Myers back. Um, And first, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill uh, were willing to go along with this to some extent. As you may know, if you've seen this 25 Years of Terror documentary, um, Dennis Etchison, who had written the novelizations of Halloween 2 and 3 under the name Jack Martin, was um, commissioned by John Carpenter from Deborah Hill to write a draft script that would somehow bring Michael Myers back. And um, 
It sounds really interesting. Do either of you have you either of you heard about this? Not really. No, I I know he had a part <coughs> in the Halloween two. Obviously, he wrote it. He wasn't part of. The, did he do the music as well in Halloween two? Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He did music for two and three. Yeah. Two and three. That's right. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm not. I don't think I've heard of this uh, iteration. Well, I, I I did see that documentary, so I, I do know. I do remember them talking about that. That there was somebody called Dennis Etchison. Yes. Had written the. Oh wait, wait a second. Is this the is this the one where it was more of a uh, it was more of a not physical threat, more of a kind of ghost like spectre, yeah, the evil presence of Michael as opposed to. I don't really know how the script would have expressed it. I haven't read I haven't read that Mm -hmm. script, but yeah, yeah, apparently it was it was kind of all about the idea that because of what happened in 1978, Halloween is banned in Adamfield. but Dennis Atchison described his script as kind of a return of the repressed thing, like when you try and repress something, it mm-hmm. draws back in unexpected ways. So somehow, by kind of banning reference to Michael Myers mm-hmm. and, and what had happened, this actually brought him back. Sounds like quite an interesting mm-hmm. idea to me. I think it, it might have been something, if it had been good, yeah. if it had been done well, it might have been something like Candyman, I think. Yeah, so more like a kind of urban legend kind mm-hmm. of thing. That's interesting. Um, and yeah, I, I think that would have been an interesting road to go down. But um, apparently, it wasn't a literal enough return of Michael Myers for Mustafa Akkad, who um, basically bought out John Capster and Deborah Hill's share in the in the um, mm. uh, the, the property. Mm. Um, and uh, Deborah Hill had to apologise to Dennis Etchison, saying, "You know, your script has has been thrown away. Mm. They're not interested in it." And um, and then, so all those three people were no longer involved in production. I kind of took sole control of it and commissioned a series of writers to create the, the what would be the Halloween 4. Newest. Um, but they had a very short time to do it because there was a writer's strike in 1988. Um, the, we- the weird credit on the movie that I don't quite know the background of is something like Story by Benjamin Ratner and Larry Ruffner and Darnie Lipsis and Alan B. McElroy. Wow. Screenplay by... Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, the weird thing is I've read most of the first draft that Alan B. McElroy wrote and it does not mention any other names on it. No. And it sounds like he just came up with it in a few days because of the deadline yeah. with the writer's strike. It's probably like a pitch, you know. Would they just... I'm not sure like the story, how the story credit works. They just like... Mm. Is it like an outline of the basic plot or... Sometimes it's that they've written an earlier draft, right, and, and the draft has been rewritten so much that um, you know they've had to put story by as opposed to yeah, screenplay. Some of their ideas are in there. Yeah, yeah, the ideas basically the only the ideas remain. Right, um, and there's some kind of writers' guild ruling, I think. Certainly, in terms of the Directors Guild, in order mm. to be credited with a movie, if if there's more than one person yeah, yeah. directing it, you've got to have done at least seventy percent of it to get credited. Mm. So. Um, so usually the Writers Guild kind of rulings come to bear on these things and they kind of rule who should be credited in what way. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that happened on this one, but I do know that McElroy, who is um, still a working writer and is the creator of your possibly your favourite franchise, Howard, Wrong Turn. Oh yes, I do love Wrong Turn. <laughs> and the thing about those films, everyone is better than the previous one. It just gets better. <laughs> I don't know how they do it. The writing, the acting, the direction. It's just absolutely marvellous. 
I sense a, a little sarcasm in your voice. Oh, I, 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 <laughs> do you? I mean, murderous, murderous hillbillies, inbred hillbillies. Not your, not your cup of tea. Well, the first one was all right. <laughs> the first one is the one that McElroy wrote. He had nothing to do with the other movies in the series. And, and yeah, I think the first one is entertaining. Um, I only watched it the other week as kind of research for this, really, mm. just get an idea of what he's like. And it's it's a, a straightforward, simple story. Quite fun, I think. Mm. Um, and I, I think so is Halloween 4. You know, mm. you can see there's this quite a, a linear thing to it. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite, it's, I think it's structurally quite strong. And it's, I think, I think the, the, the unique thing is that it does, I feel like it does capture that initial feel of the first film. It does, you have the, the kind of, you know, the, it, he's coming, he's coming, you know, the escape and all that. Uh, but I, I feel with this one, they shifted it a little bit more into the, more of an action genre. Well, I was just thinking, it was interesting this film came out in 1988, mm. because that was the time of the action film. Mm. That was the time of Die Hard, yeah. when Schwarzenegger, Schwarzenegger was ruling the roost yeah, and Predator exactly. and all that. And this kind of film reminded me a bit, in that there's a lot of action in it. Yeah. There's a lot of car chases and explosions yeah. and fights and, and gunfire and everything. And so yeah, it's kind of a bit like an action film sometimes, if they're trying to appeal to that audience as well. And that's why, because if you think about Halloween, Halloween is a very quiet film. There's not much yeah. action. No, it's just it's, a lot of... For lack of a better word, Halloween is boring. Yeah. It's not... It's not... And I mean that in the best possible way. It's boring because not much happens. But that's the building of the tension. That's why it's such an interesting and it's so engrossing, is that you're like, oh, something's going to happen. Yeah. And he's just like... Well, that's what's so about it. Pop, it's, popping it's, out of the hedge. Hello there. <laughs> and then pops back, but... It, it holds you in such a way that it's not boring. No, but if if you that's but not a lot happens. It's a very no, simple exactly, story. Yeah. Not a lot happens. Exactly, and, and just really the the most of the action happens in the last 10, 15 minutes, if that. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's very few killings. Mm. So no, many killings. It's all tension. Yeah. And therefore, if you watch it and you don't feel the tension, which obviously some people yeah. don't, it doesn't work for everyone. Mm. Then you go, what the hell is this film? Is pointless. Well, I think we said on that first Halloween podcast. That we were saying that the, the, the Carpenter went with with a cut of the film without the music, mm. and they said, "Oh, this is awful! This is the worst film I've ever seen." And then he comes back and goes, "Give me a couple of days." And then and that uh, makes it. And that, yes. that really does. It's you know makes the film hold up even more. But I can see if I could see the producer's issue with it because it would seem dull or boring. Um, but again, it's not because it's a very well constructed film. Sure. And no, I absolutely agree with you. Let's not harp on about Halloween. No, no, no. We've stop, already I'll done stop that. Stop that. Several hours. It is good, though. It is yeah, good. It's very good. It's yeah. good. I think it's we okay, talked yeah. about it. We did talk about it, but um, it, it's still very good. I think <laughs> people should watch it. I think people should watch it, actually. And might enjoy it. Should do a, should yeah. do, you should do a commentary track. That's what we should do. We should oh, do yeah. a commentary yeah. track for it while they watch it so they don't have to hear all the dialogue. We can do the dialogue and uh, make it better. <laughs> we can really <laughs> easily do that. Um, but it does. It, start, yeah, it starts kind of with a crashing ambulance. It gets into an ambulance. And that crashes, mm. then there's an exploding petrol station, and then at the end is all the guys on the mm. truck, and they all get thrown yeah. off. And it's, those sort of things, there's, there's a lot of <laughs> yeah. action going on. And sort of, I, don't, I don't know I, I how think... those people on the truck managed to no, not that's... notice him. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think they're very bright. The first guy goes off, and he's like, Yeah! You know, like Wilhelm scream, and then and then the other guy's just like, I wonder what that was. <laughs> and then he goes. Well, we'll deal with the ending of the film when we get there. Um, Sorry. I think a, an, there's a specific important precedent for this movie, I think, in terms of 80s action, as you're referring to, Howard, and it's Aliens. Aliens. Oh, yes. I was going to mention that, actually, yeah. Um, 
and down to the fact that the, the, the kind of protagonist in it is a little girl. Yes. You know? So I think the basically, uh, actually, if you say to, if you sum up um, Alan B. McElroy's script and basically say it's the first one, but with a bit more like Aliens, because mm. Aliens had come out and shown that you can take a horror movie and sort of turn it into an action movie and it will mm. work. Yeah. And also, it, it, the, the the use of the little girl protagonist gives you a different. A similar but different kind of flavour than, yeah. than when the characters are all adults, mm. um, and also a different way to create tension yeah. and a different um, way to create peril. So I think that was definitely added in. I also kind of noted that the Halloween Four script is very, very strongly based on the template of the script from Halloween. The structure, yeah. as you said, it is well structured. Mm. It's the structure of Halloween. Mm, exactly. It starts off with the, the, the escape from the asylum. Um, Obviously, uh, you then go to Haddonfield, you meet the um, the kind of uh, positive characters of the yep, film. Yep. The, um, uh, and spend quite a lot of time with them during daylight. Mm-hmm. You know, the start of Halloween, the day. It's very, it is very similar. He escapes, you know, he's, people are aware of it. He escapes. Loomis, you know, he's like, how could you let him escape? You know, yeah. he's evil, he's evil. There's the, the, he does the kind of cross-cutting thing, yeah. which is between Haddonfield where you're getting to know the new characters, yeah. and also you're cutting to Loomis on his journey yeah. to Haddonfield. There's, Michael goes back to the house. There's the scene where you find out how Michael gets his boiler suit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that it's a bit more elaborate because yeah, yeah. the, the garage blows up and that, yeah. but, you know... You, um, get that, you get that lovely, like, Jaws shot, don't you? The... Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah Loomis um, that's one of... There are a number of points where um, the director, Dwight H. Little, shows a bit of flair yes. for that kind of thing, and, uh, and that's certainly one of them. Um, there's also the bit very similar to the moment in the first film where the three girls walking along and Michael Myers drives past yeah, and yeah, she shouts, yeah. hey, jerk, speed kills. Mm. There's a bit where they're in a car and yeah, he, right, yeah. he comes past in a in the mechanics truck, I think, that he stole mm. from the garage. Mm. And there's some kind of moment of tension there. He's following them or yeah. something. Um, yeah, there's, there's kind of recurrent moments kind of all the way through. He also likes to murder... Canines uh, a oh, lot because yes. that happens again. Oh, yeah. um, so he's not not a dog not a dog person, Michael. Uh, don't think uh, much. <laughs> but yeah, he does he does throttle or break the uh, break the dog's neck. Can't remember. Um, also, the, just the structure of the cast. There's um, three um, young. Uh, about, well, if you think if you include. Um, the young girl played mm. by Daniel Harris, who's mm. called Jamie Lloyd, named after Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm. Um, there's three girls, mm. but but if you don't include her because she, her age changes her role a little bit, yeah, there are still three teenage characters who are mm. heroes. But this time it's two girls and a boy, and there's kind of a, a love triangle going on. There's even oh yeah, no he, remember yeah. He even repeats the fact that one of the girls is the daughter of the sheriff. Yeah. yeah. And the sheriff is done, of course. It's uh, Kath- Kathleen done. Kinmont, I believe. Yes, who's very good, I think. Uh, yes, very, very talented. I've also, <laughs> I've, also yeah. se- I've also seen her in a few um, soft, 
hardcore pornographic. Really? Uh, she? Yes, oh, yes. Is that I, what she's doing now? It was uh, no, it's for it's in my in my youth oh. on Channel Five. They used to show a lot of those uh, right. late at night, <laughs> so I would uh, uh, make sure everyone was asleep and partake <laughs> in my uh, in my uh, erotic thriller <laughs> phase. Um, but yeah, I mean, no, she's she's great. She's great. She's not got much to do in this though. No, she is good. Um, uh, yeah, I. She's got quite a distinctive name, so I mm. so I, if I had seen her anything else, I would have thought I would have mm. remembered. But, um, but no, check out your erotic thrillers. <laughs> right, okay, I shall. Um, we could do I, a podcast on those. Your extensive I, collection. I, I, do, I do have a certain amount of knowledge, you know. Um, I, I, Don't we all? I, I used to have an uh, Andrew Stevens Productions library, essentially. Um, uh, so basically, I think if they could have done, um, they would have just made Halloween one again. You know, they would have imitated yeah, it totally. Yeah. I think that's what Mustafa Akkad wanted. And yeah. the director says that's what he wanted. And they aim to make it not very violent yeah. in, the way, in, in the way that the original mm-hmm. was. But they were frustrated by two things. One of them was the fact that Halloween 2 existed. Mm-hmm. And they had to kind of include continuity elements yeah. from that. So even though they were saying Dr. Loomis was not dead, they had to kind of acknowledge that he'd been burned. Yeah. So he has that burden on his face. The, there's a few other things um, from Halloween 2 in there. Well, I mean, there's yeah. there's basically a whole recap of there is, everything. Yeah. That at the start of the beginning, they yeah, do all the burning and the explosion and stuff, don't they? Yeah, they do. Um, and also, the, then there's the fact that they apparently the test screening of the movie, feedback came back that it wasn't violent enough, so they had to reshoot extra gore. Oh, people are... It people seems people to happen a lot in this franchise. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's the same, and it's either too violent or not violent enough. Mm. Either either way, no one can find the middle ground. I think there was um, there's the scene where he's in the the garage, isn't there? And he's getting the the boiler suit, I believe, from the mm. guy from the garage, and he has a crowbar or something. I think it was originally he was supposed to see the crowbar go into the guy's face, but you just kind of just get the shot of it coming down, right. and a kind of um, sound effect. I, I think they did want to do kind of more explicit violence. Mm. But they were limited by their budget, exactly, and um, yeah. I think if you if you watch the making of documentary, um, John Carl Beekler, who is commissioned to add in the gory bits, mm. like for instance uh, at the start of the film when Michael escapes from the um, the asylum by he's he's being transported in an ambulance, mm. and he overpowers the the two attendants who mm. are with him. That scene's not in the script originally. Oh, yeah. That the ambulance was just going to leave. The asylum, and then you go to Haddonfield, and uh, you know a few pages in the script later, you get um, they find the ambulance crashed, mm. and he's obviously escaped. But they have to add the scene in where he kills them, mm. and John Carl Beekler just um, there's the kind of gory moment where uh, Michael smashes a guy's head against the mm. side of the ambulance, and yeah. then he pushes his thumb through yeah. the forehead. And apparently they just did that by they had a fake hand with a thumb that squashed. Yeah. So no. the fake hand just so it just it's kind again. of yeah. Yeah. So, um, so obviously, you know, they couldn't afford to do much in terms of adding in gore effects. So later on in the series, they'll be able to do more extensive things for good or ill to, mm. on, on that level. So I want us to do a little activity now. Okay. Um, because. <laughs> Uh, As I said, I did read uh, most of the first draft of the script, Mm -hmm. which is very close to the final film, but there's a few key changes, and uh, one of them specifically regards the the security guard at the asylum at the start 
played by an actor called Raymond O'Connor. Oh, I like oh, him. He's, he's one of my favourites. He's yeah. good. He's great. <laughs> he might, very, uh, almost very Brad Dourif like, I think. <laughs> a little bit. Yes. Well, I mean, it basically, he um, originally had a, a, I guess, Alan McElroy wrote more kind of naturalistic speeches mm. for him. But yeah. then someone up, up on the production obviously decided that, no, we need a character who can sum up the events of the previous films in case audience members have not yeah. seen them. So one set of scripts of speeches went out and another one come in. So what I'd like to do is I'll ask each of you to read one of the alternative Raven Dogon okay. speeches. Yeah. Who would like to read the original speech that he was going to deliver? Which is at the start of the film um we're at um it's it's funny, it's not the asylum from the original Halloween, which was no. Smith's Grove. It's yeah. a different asylum and people are coming from Smith's Grove to pick up Michael to transfer him back to Smith's Grove for some reason. Hmm. Um, yeah. Especially <laughs> this ambulance arrives and these two attendants come in and a security guard shows them to Michael's cell so that they can transfer him. And while he's taking them down in the lift, uh, he gets to chat to them. And in the original version of the script, this is what he says. Who, who wants to do the original? I think our special oh, guest. Oh, oh, thank you, thank you. I'll, I'll take. I was going to let you decide. No, no, you're going to decide because. Um, I'll take that first one then. Yeah. Okay, so so that's the speech. So basically, they come out of the lift and they walk. It's a bit like Signs of the Lambs. They're yeah, walking down the corridor of... with with all the inmates on either side, and he gives them a little spiel about okay. them. Okay. So I'll give it a go. I'll give it my best try. Remember, uh, dear listeners, Dan has never seen <laughs> this before, so he's just giving yeah, this. Bear with me. I'll, I'll see what I can do. They're here, aren't they? Over there, we got a man used to pick up hitchhikers, take their picture, bath them, cut them up, and bake them in a stew pot. <laughs> Left side, we got a woman does everything in threes, bury three husbands and three children. Next to her is an obstetrician. He murdered every ninth child he delivered, then stole their bodies and kept them in a huge nursery in his basement. We even have a 10-year-old who had his family for Christmas dinner, took the leftovers to school, handed them out as sandwiches to his friends. God, people like that would be locked up. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, was, that was my... Obstetrician? Obst- Is that what you say? Obstetrician. That was lucky guess. Very good. That's been good. That, that yes, was well, we'll let you know. And, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, Dan is available for <laughs> for all acting, for all um, for all uh, lists of murderous people, and then asylum. <laughs> it, uh, it was maybe a little bit New York. Not sorry, yeah, maybe maybe not Haddonfieldy but, enough, um, but it was. I don't know. That's how I remembered him from the film. Thank you very much, Dan. That Thank you. I, I, it was just uh, you know, it's what I do. It's what I do. <laughs> so that. As it's as it sounds, that's kind of a speech that an actor kind of have fun with. I yeah, think. yeah. So, um, but then obviously it was decided. No, actually, we just need it to be information. <laughs> yeah, that, that <laughs> we just need to exposition, exposition, exposition. Yeah. And that, that was changed. So, Howard, so, do you want to read the? Yeah. You can have the less fun one now. <laughs> no, it's that's. I can be Raymond O'Connor. <laughs> is it just that way then? Yes, so basically, they, in the film as it is, they don't go down the corridor, mm. they just go down the lift, and he talks yeah. to them while they're in the lift, so... Okay. Yeah, the one you're picking up, just thinking about him, gives me the willies. Yeah, a decade ago, Halloween night, he murdered 16 people, maybe more, trying to get to his sister. Nearly got her, too. But his doctor, of all people, shot him six times, then he set him on fire. Both of them nearly burned to death. Yeah, I'll be glad to see this one going. Yes, indeedy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
New York as well. I think we just need to slip into New York. Just New Yorkers. All asylum attendants. I came all the way to Hanfield. This is where I decided I want to live here. New York's too violent. I want to live in Hanfield. Great rate New York will kill. You know what? Jason took Manhattan for about 30 minutes. So I thought I'd come here. Very nice, Howard. So basically, we, we got two alternative New York takes on that speech. Then, <laughs> and do we feel that the second version of the speech was written by Alan McElroy or perhaps by a production assistant after the the writer's strike mm, had begun? Yeah, yes. Or probably the actor I, himself. I think the first one's better. Yeah, yes. I think it's more interesting. It kind of it does it does make me think of like you said like uh, Silence of the Lambs or uh, even a Jacob's Ladder yeah. uh, reminds me of that sort of thing. Um, and it is, it's a bit more, it conjures up more kind of images. But the other, the other one is very much like, if they, if they felt it was needed, they felt it was needed. But well, was it needed though? I mean, yeah. if you go to see a Halloween film, don't you have some knowledge of the previous ones? Also, is it really essential to just say the information? Yeah. I mean, for instance, he, he nearly sure. burned to death. Yeah. You can see he's got burns all over it's his covered hands. covered in bandages. Then there's a scene with Dr. Loomis a few minutes later where yeah. he goes, can't you see my face? I, I never forget that night when mm. I was nearly burned to death. Right. You know, it's like, they think, late. Oh, yeah. I, I, mean, I think they were probably, they could have, if they could have been bothered, found yeah. more effective ways, yeah. more subtle ways of conveying that information than just and have some... Then, then again, you could, you could do it the opposite way and just be very subtle and not give out that much information mm. to go and just be a bit more cryptic about it and people go... Ooh, well, I am watching Halloween 4, so maybe I should go back and find out all this information and watch 1, 2, huh. and 3. What, 3's not got him in? What's going on? I'm confused. Yeah, well, that happens. Yeah, um, yeah and the other thing is that the story is so simple. For, for Halloween 1 and 2, and I would argue for this one as well, you know, we talked in, in the previous podcast about the way, you know, you could sum up the story in one line. That Halliwell's line about a mad killer escaped from the asylum in a small Illinois town. That's also the plot of this film. Yeah. It's as simple as that. You don't need that. Kind much of the detail. plot of all of them. <laughs> <laughs> what, huh. I, I don't know, you know, when we get there, um, we might have some weird tangents a bit later on. But um, uh, yeah, you know, so, and, and I think it's worth pointing out again that, you know, that speech is not in the original script and all that information was doled out in Alan McElroy's original draft just as scenes came up. I mean, you've got a character, in, and one of your main characters is the daughter of, uh, yeah. supposedly the daughter of Laurie, the lead from the previous films. She is there to point out her family relationship. You know, you don't have to have yeah. a character saying, he killed all these people trying to get to his yeah. sister. And I just, every time I saw Raymond O'Connor, bless his heart, delivering mm. that speech, I just thought, that's awful. Could yeah. any actor make that sound yeah. good? I think you did a good attempt. Yeah, that was, that was great. That was good. <laughs> but but I'm, I'm not sure it's Yeah, but it is, it is heavy-handed exposition, isn't yeah. it? I mean, yeah. it's what it is. But I think there's ways of doing that without doing that so soon and so heavy-handed and so, you know, ham-fisted yeah. is probably a better term. The fact um, that, that it's just a speech that he says to them and they don't say anything back. Yeah. It's not even question and answer. No. It's yeah. like, tell me more about him. Or, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, no, it's like... Can you please gonna... stop talking? <laughs> <laughs> I just talk. I don't see many, I don't see many sane people. I'm just going to talk at you. <laughs> I think he's one of the inmates. <laughs> he's just like, put on a put it, on the guard be. outfit. It he be. does have the maddest eyes in the movie. Perhaps. Oh yes, the maddest eyes. Yeah. Well, yeah. The darkest eyes. The darkest eyes. <laughs> Marvelous. Um, okay, so 
that's the movie. That's what we've got. Mm. Um, obviously, in their attempt, their intention to sequelize the Michael Myers story and to um, bring it back to its roots, they wanted to include Jamie Lee Curtis. But by this point, she was a proper bona fide movie yeah. star. Yeah. She had been in big comedies and all, all, all trading places, yeah. musical wonder. Yeah, Fish Called Wonder, I think, was the same year, wasn't it? But yeah, basically, she had better things to do, and I don't think they could afford her. No, I don't think they could afford her then, no. Um, no. Halloween 4's budget, by the way, was $5 million, which is more than the other films had, mm. but small, and also it's late 80s, recession yeah. and things like that. Mm. I don't know how it really affected the American uh, economy. Mm. But obviously, we were struggling in, in Britain a bit, mm. and certainly, the I know that you know, kind of the whole relationship where big American movies for a while were just kind of habitually made in England. That was basically yeah, like Yeah, it worked out cheaper mm. to the American producers. It's like a ta- is the tax reasons, or is it just is it with it like was, currency? And we we used to have a thing called the ED levy, mm. which uh, was uh, basically a tax break for filmmakers. Ah. Um, but I think all that situation started to change, and it became much more expensive. This is um, one of the reasons why the third Alien film uh, w- was a really expensive kind of disastrous production mm. because it was in, it was made in England, but it was in production so long that it started being made in England when the ec- economy was favourable. Mm. But by but before it finished, the situation had turned wow. and everything. It was they were just kind of leaking dollars. Um, yeah, so they couldn't afford Jamie Lee Curtis, so they've just written her out and they've said she's she's died off screen. Uh, in a car crash, apparently, uh, a few years after the events of Halloween 2, I suppose. Um, and her daughter, she she had a very young daughter at the time, who's now being raised by a foster family. This daughter is, uh, in the script, she's not called Jamie. Somebody obviously decided, no, we'll call her Jamie, yeah. as a nod to Jamie yeah. Curtis. And um, she's, she's living with this family, the Lloyds. Um, no, the family's not called the Lloyds, it's called the Carruthers. But um, she's known as Lloyd. She's Lloyd because that's obviously that's... Name, the that married must... name of uh, yeah. the partner, right? So, Laurie Lloyd. Poor lass. Laurie Lloyd. Laurie Lloyd. Yeah. Um, Good old uh, LL. <laughs> so, yeah, Jeremy cool Lloyd Jane. is now living with the Carruthers's. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the next scene after the escape of Michael, we get to meet her, be comforted by um, her older foster sister, mm. Rachel, played by Ellie Cornell. Um... Howard, I think you, you're quite a fan of Ellie Cornell. I do. <laughs> Is it that obvious? Um, yeah, no, I think I think she's great. I mean, you need kind of like an engaging heroine. Well, I think there are two very fine performances in this. Mm. I think Ellie Cornell's a really kind of appealing heroine, and she's really good. Uh, and I think Daniel Harris is a quite remarkable child actress. Yeah, she really what is. What she does is, is just, yeah. you know, you kind of, maybe, if you'd seen this film at the time, you might have thought she was going to be big and, and mm. really go somewhere. But uh, she does a lot of horror films now. She's kind of like a screen queen now. But mm. Yeah, they're both, uh, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I like, I like Ellie Cornell, yes. Uh, no, she's, those, good, she's good. Those two performances are terrific, yeah. I think. And I think they carry the film, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, they really do. And, and, and I watched it and I find myself, because of those, those performances are so vivid, you actually care about the love triangle stuff mm. with um, uh, the, the character Brady, played by Sasha Jensen, yeah, he's who's just, so, sort of Ellie's boyfriend. Yeah, he's, he's a bit of a toxic <laughs> male, isn't he? Halloween <laughs> films, slasher films in general 
are not very flattering about American youth. No. We are most of them no. kind of horny and gormless. Yeah. And not very sort that of attractive That still people. sounds kind of like English youth yeah, well, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, yeah. I mean, it's like English youth, but, I mean, it's it's, not, but without as many guns. <laughs> it's um, mostly kind of like... Yeah, like trashy kind of like, I just want to have sex yeah. with the yeah. next hottest girl. And, and get stoned. Yeah, let's uh, get high, man. And but the heroine isn't like that. The heroine, no, of course quite not. Like Jamie yeah. Curtis, she's nice and yeah. kind, and you uh, you identify with her. Resourceful. And However, resourceful. like she is a badass in this. She fights back. Yeah. You know she's 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 not she's always in a you know almost always in a state of kind of panic about the situation. However, she has this calm resolve, and like when she's speaking to to Jamie, she's. You know, like a lot of people would be like, it's okay, it's all going to be all right, it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine. She's like, get in the damn car. <laughs> you know, just she yeah. tells, she's like, we've got to escape this, we've got to climb off this roof, you know, go down the, the thing, I'll protect you. Like, she, she's having a go at her to protect her. And you, I think as a, as a parental protective figure with, with children, it's not always like, oh, you, know, you know, like, oh, everything's going to be fine. Nothing's wrong. There's not a serial killer after us. So just imagining that, it's fine. But she was like, no, he's going to murder us. Yeah. Get down the house. Get, climb down yeah. that thing. Yeah, she's, yeah, she's... And run. Uh, and, and that's, I really, I really dug that. And, mm. and it's a, yeah, no, she's a, no, she's, she's, she's terrific. So think, strong in it. So strong. And I, I, you know, she did, like I said, she carried the film and she kept my attention and throughout it, um, you know. Yeah. I, I feel like she w- could have been a, a, a new star. Yeah. yeah. Not just for the mm. franchise, but in general. She's got great presence. She, She's just enough like um, Jamie Lee Curtis, or, or at least she embodies similar yeah, qualities without feeling like a rip-off of the character, I think. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I was very fond of her and... Mm. If it was not a, a slasher movie, but it was just a teen mm. drama about yeah. um, Ellie Cornell's That's boyfriend problem. A, Dor- a Dawson's, <laughs> a Dawson's huh. Creek. Yeah. Well. I think I'd still enjoy it. Because but the interesting thing is that she has a boyfriend. See, it's in Halloween, It's there is the idea that it's the girls who have sex mm. and get killed, yeah, and yeah. the one who doesn't. The virginials. Yeah, stays alive mm. for some kind of puritanical reason. Yeah. That it's, People well, have sex and be punished. Whereas in this film, Ellie Cornell's character, she she does have a boyfriend, mm. and presumably yeah. they've. Well, I mean, I think that's because, firstly, you know, as we discussed before, the the, the that whole kind of moralistic reading yeah. of the plot of the first Halloween film is something that other people have put on. So yeah, yes, I do. It's um, kind of it's become a trope in itself when mm, it wasn't meant to be. But also, that your virginal innocent character in this movie is Jamie. Yes. Mm. You know, she's six or whatever. Yeah. You know, she 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 can represent that. Yeah, true. It, it's okay for the, the the adult Lee to be a bit more complex. Mm. I do quite like how bratty she is at the start because yeah. of that opening scene with the family, like, oh, the the babysitter's cancelled on us. You're gonna have to babysit. And she's like, I want to go out with my boyfriend. I want to go and do things with him. Um, I, I do quite like that she has that. She doesn't just stay bratty. She doesn't just. She's not instantly the badass. It does grow throughout mm. the film. She does have a really. And she's big, she's bullied. It's strong. Really yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, speaking of bullying, the, you mean Jamie's bullied? Yeah. Yeah, Jamie's. Bullied. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah um, Rachel's character's arc's really good, but yeah, Jamie's bullied. Those kids are like you. Oh, for, no. You forget how bad kids the, are. The scenes them. of bullying in this film are probably more heartrending than the ones yeah. in Halloween. Yeah. I think. Yeah, because yeah, they're like. You know, they're the really just... Jamie's an orphan. Jamie's an orphan. Yeah. It's horrible, yeah. It is horrible, actually. I did quite like the reference to the cartoon mask 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> one of the kids is dressed as one of the characters from Mask, the cartoon. Oh, right, it's okay. like a, it's kind of like a GI Joe meets Transformers yeah, thing yeah, back that. in the day. Um, but yeah, they're awful. Like, mm. and I, and, you know, we've all been at school, primary school, and kids are cruel, hideous. I certainly was. Monsters, you know. Mm. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> Still is now. <laughs> we hope you grow out of it now, Howard. Oh, no. The second we turn the microphone on, <laughs> put on this nice persona. But before, oh my God, you had me in tears in the corner of the room. Um, but yeah, they are hideous, hideous kids. Like, but I guess that's the point. It's trying to, but like, I, I, it's almost unrealistically like over the top in a way. But it kind of, I don't know. but it gives a bit of context. It yeah, gives it a bit does, of yeah. detail, and it just makes it more believable. Yeah, true, true. Situation. No, it's true. But yeah, and, and but yeah, it's the characters. Yeah, it's it's believable, and then it's kind of like I'm also like on the I'm on the borderline with it that that yeah, kids are bloody I'm, awful. But I think yeah, it does help that you know she has had a good life. She has had a good upbringing, but she does have that one strong you know, female figure in her life, which is Rachel, uh, and she's always there, even if she's like, I wish you weren't here, because I want to go out with my boyfriend. But but again, by the end of the film, she's like, don't ever go anywhere. Well, no, there's, again, it's not just the fact that it's a little girl, yeah. but it's it's the kind of, I know that Rachel's not her mother. No. But, but... there's, it's the strong, almost uh, parental link. Mm with the, the older woman as the protector. Yeah. I always think one of the great things about Aliens, which mm. is, um, um, you know, full disclosure, my favorite film. Um, I can see why. It's a classic. It's, uh, uh, I love it. But that poster is so good. It's just such a strong image, which is Sigourney Weaver standing there with um, a little girl on one arm, mm. kind of hogging her, and a huge condom. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, do not mess with this yeah. mother. This you is... know? Um, that's what that's why I'm sure we could do a podcast on that film, but that's that's what it is, that's what that whole thing film is about mothers, mm. I think. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. There's some marines and aliens in it, but really, mm. it's it's about mother the mothering nature and being a mother and no, no, no. You're speaking my language, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so we're talking about kind of the familiar relationships there, and I was also mentioning earlier that within this movie they really want to recreate Halloween, but they're hamstrung by mm. elements from Halloween 2. And of course, mm. the main thing from Halloween 2 is the, the plot thing that's come over that, that Michael Myers kills his family. Mm. So therefore, Jamie knows this. That's another... Uh, it's a smart decision in the script to make Rachel so... Um, Honest mm. and pragmatic, yeah. with Jamie, because basically Jamie already knows. Yeah. So why hide history? Yeah. You know, she's um, a little girl with an old head, essentially. Yeah. Um, but it does create this. That's strange... a very, that's a very creepy image you've just put on. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Maybe that's a movie to do. Um, old head. <laughs> 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 Oh my god. My youthful body. Mm. Oh dear. <laughs> I think you're broken. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So, um, I tend to do that. <laughs> You'll stop inviting me soon. <laughs> Not at all. Um, but my point, I think it changes the nature of the film's suspense a little bit because you know from the start that um, if Michael Myers, well, you know that Michael Myers is coming back yeah. for his family. Yeah. Whereas in Halloween, you kind of know he's there, but you don't yeah. really know what he's doing, so the yeah. suspense is of a different nature. Mm. Um, did 
do we think that it still kind of works as a suspenseful film? I think maybe this is the reason why Halloween mm-hmm. 4 is a bit more action fact. Yeah. Because if you know what the baddie is, is trying to do and who uh, and, and who needs to be protected and things, mm. it kind of becomes all, almost more about the set piece confrontation. Yeah. yeah, well, this is this is the thing about all these sort of films. The more you know about Michael Myers, the less interesting and the yeah. less frightening he is. In that first film, he is that mysterious, ambiguous blank, inexplicable. We don't know why he's doing the things he's doing. He's called the shape. Is it, yeah. it's clearly called the shape. He's, he's, is he playing with these people, messing with them? Is he sort of trying to humiliate Whatever. I mean, and Kim Newman said on that, uh, which I think I mentioned last time, that it's not really about the killing. Michael's not really about the killing. He, he's about messing with these people. Yeah. And the killing is just like the, yeah. end of the end of the joke kind of thing. Mm. Once he sort of like play with them, then he can just kill them. Um, and as the series has gone on, kind of Michael becomes more sadistic, and it's more about I think finding the, ingenious ways to kill the, people, or yeah, bizarre ways to kill people. I think that element of um, playing pranks almost is one thing that's completely absent from this movie. Oh, isn't definitely, it? yeah. I, I don't and think, that's one of the things I that makes for me the first film so it's successful. A, it's a bit more. I think in five, there's a bit more of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think. I do, I do agree with you on the, it does take away from the supernatural, the kind of spectral unknown that might, the shape. It takes away from the shake, but it does give, uh, as much, you, you know. just call him the shake? The shake. The shake. The shake. The Parkinson's disease. Or, 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 or he's a very he's wise a, man from Arabia. Or he's a very tasty milk beverage. <laughs> Um, all three possibly <laughs> who knows we don't know in that first film we don't know what he is um, the shape um, but yeah but I, I you know what I don't hate like it, it takes away something from the shape but I think it gives something to Michael Myers you know what I mean well I don't I just I just think it becomes a bit slightly more mechanical when you yeah. know what he's going to do yeah uh, predictable and he's not doing the same thing he's not sort of Playing with them, messing with them, taunting them, playing no. pranks on them. He no. just appears and kills. Yeah. If he yeah. appears, you know that whoever he's with at that he's time gonna, is going to yeah, get killed. Get cool. And there's no kind of like yeah. I think tension I was, about that. I was very conscious of that when I first saw this mm. film, and I think that's why I didn't like it. Yeah, I, yeah. But I think, but I think it does very well. You see, the things about sequels are they are they do kind of have to happen within limits. Yes. The audience expects certain things, yeah, and this, the audience is going to see this and want to see Michael Myers killing people. Mm. So you have to give them Michael Myers killing people, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that you know who he is now, and yeah. kind of what he is, and why he's doing mm. it, and everything. And so the other mm. elements kind of have to sort of compensate for that in a way. You have to, mm. and, and in this film they do. I think, like I yeah. say, Andy Cornell's really good, and Daniel yeah. Harris is really good, and the other characters, and Donald Pleasant I think is on form yeah. here. So you don't really notice perhaps as much in yeah. some of the other ones that Michael Myers is. is would you say he's more the same routine? Yeah. Would you say he's kind of more of like a plot device or yeah, yeah, it's a just, catalyst? Just kind of, yeah, or... he just has to be there yeah. doing that. Yeah, kind of thing. And he's going to do that thing yeah. around these other. Every whatever else is happening in the characters. story, at some point you've got to go back to Michael Myers killing somebody yeah. in, a, in a rather gruesome way. Although this film isn't that gruesome. It's not no, not so, really. My God, compared to things now, it's it's positively tame. And, and even at the time, I don't think it's no, it's it's fine. I I think. Um, but it does develop a modus operandi that basically whenever Michael meets someone, he kills them. Yes. I think yeah. so. Therefore, you, you basically that's the routine. Yeah. And you get used to that. Um, but while we're on the subject of talking about Michael Stroke the Shape, mm. what do we think of him in this movie, as in how he looks? And he's played by an actor who's a, a stuntman called George P. Wilbur. Originally, they cast someone else, but who was replaced partway through the shooting. George P. Wilbur, I, I, su- I suggest, does not have the best build. For this no. Role. Well, um, mind you, it all comes out of the mask. I mean, I, doesn't it sound like a documentary that they got the mask wrong? That it's not oh, they right didn't have blonde hair. Yeah, his hair sticking yeah. out. He looks, 
He doesn't look right mm. uh, in this film. Well, if you haven't seen the other films, and this yeah. is the first one, then, then you don't know he's yeah, exactly. yeah. But if you have seen them, there's something a bit weird about... Well, it's strange like. that the kind of hallmark of the mask is that it's kind of a blank face, but mm. this one is too blank. Mm. It's yeah. like... That it, doesn't it doesn't fit properly. It doesn't look like it fits properly. Yeah. It looks like his head is too big or something. It's just it, almost just a plain white. There's no kind of yeah. texture to it or anything. It's ju- it is just a, a white face. There's no character to it and I kind of um, uh, feel like the director throughout the movie is kind of uh, attempting to create this psychological thriller kind mm. of edge yeah strange dream sequences mm. Jamie gets glimpses of things that then turn yeah. out not to be there and the fact that Michael Myers is a big bulky guy mm. with a pretty shoddy mask on mm. kind of undercuts that constantly unfortunately yeah. I think that that opening dream, I actually didn't realise it was a dream at one point. I was like, I was like, when could Michael teleport? Because <laughs> he's on one side of the room, and then he's behind the, net, the door she's trying to get out of. And yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. and then she wakes up, and I'm like, oh, it was a dream. I was just like, why didn't I realise that was a bloody dream? I just, I was like having a slow moment. But day. I mean, that's quite a nice piece of writing to create a dream sequence that that creates a, a set piece, but also gives you information about the characters True, that, yeah. it, that yeah. does go on to be relevant. Mm. My, one of my favourite scenes in it is is the opening one with Loomis and he's talking to the doctor at the asylum and he's like, you're not fit to be a psychiatrist. You shouldn't... Yeah, that's a should. guy called... And I was, I, yeah, the, Michael I, Pataki. That's yeah. right. Patakai. Patakai? He has been in a lot of horror films. He's mm. in Graduation Day and I think he's in one of the Friday 13th. Mm. And he's, he's got one who talks like this. He's got yeah. one who's really gravelly noise. He's, he's in Rocky IV. He's done other stuff he, as well. He's, 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 he's the Russian oh, trainer guy. Yes, yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But he's has done a lot of horror stuff. Mm. And he's done a lot of slasher stuff as well. Mm. And he's, uh, I think he had a semi-regular thing in Star Trek as mm. one of the Klingons as right. well. Right, well, he's a bit of the Klingons. No. But so, he, 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 points, he points out how like how poor a psychiatrist he is, as in like you believe that he's evil. <laughs> you haven't tried to heal him. You've just tried to lock him away. And they were like, "I told you, I told you this would happen. I told you, I told you." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And then he's like, and then they find the ambulance, and they're like, "You know, I was right. <laughs> I'm always right." Yeah, but it's like, the, the cops are always rubbish. Yeah. The other's... Doctors, psychiatrists, it was. No, well, nobody ever listens in these no, films, no, do they? It's, it's I always think it, I always think of Superman because he's always like, Jor-El, our planet will never explode. What are you talking about? <laughs> Don't be silly. And they're like, it will. Just listen. Yeah. It's going to. I've got all this scientific information, all this, you know, all this research. Shut up. <laughs> oh, it's exploding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sorry, Jor-El, we didn't listen. But no, it's good because he he's actually voicing some of the criticisms of Loomis that we were yeah. talking about. The other week, in exactly, one was yeah. on Halloween too. So yeah, <laughs> worst psychiatrist in the um, world. And and it, yeah, and he's got a great voice, and you know, yeah. he's a good a person to add into the movie. Mm. This is a good point then to just talk about the cast mm. in general, and I suppose we should start with Donald Pleasance. Well, Donald Pleasance. I want to mention one of my favourite scenes in this film. One of my favourite scenes in all Halloween films is. Uh, after Michael, there's been a scene at the petrol station which is all exploded. Michael has stolen Loomis's car, mm. and so Loomis Donald Pleasant is trying to get a lift. And yes, this uh, yes, girl, yes. this like idiot teenager stop, and then they drive off. And, and then this wonderful guy uh, is in a truck and he stops. And it's played by an actor called Carmen Philpy, yeah. who was in Ed Wood briefly. Oh, so, so and Ed, I love Ed, it's one of my favourite films. Who did he play in Ed He Wood? plays the guy showing the stock footage to Johnny Depp. Oh, okay. he's, he's only got a yeah. very three, four lines. Right. 
Look at this, Ed. He's also in The Wedding Singer, the Adam Sandler movie. I had a look at him. He's always, he's always a crusty old man. Yeah. Pretty much. Sort of old man, crusty old man, bad tempered old man. But anyway, there's this scene and uh, he stops going, get in, I'll give you a lift. And he starts saying, this old guy starts saying, you're looking for Asia. You're looking for him. I can see you're looking for him. Uh, apocalypse, Armageddon, the end of the world. Yeah. You're a fellow pilgrim. Uh, I mean, I think it's important to point out he's not just an old guy, he's clearly a preacher. Yeah, yeah he's a preacher, yeah, yes, he's yeah, And he's, yeah. he's got a big chin. His kind of chin meets his yes. nose. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then he started, let's all gather at the rib. <laughs> and it's a brilliant scene because it's got nothing to do. That guy doesn't appear yeah. again, he doesn't no. appear later on. And it's the only time, I think, or one of the very few times in the whole series where you see Dr. Loomis smile yeah, and yeah. look happy and look like he's enjoying himself. Uh, which is good, but there's also the idea that Loomis is not the only person hunting down evil. Yeah. There's, there's others. Yeah. There are other Michael Myers in the world. Yeah. And there's other people searching for them, and this guy's one of them. We don't know anything about him, where he's come from, what he's going to do. But he's just, you know, he said, I've spent my whole life like trying to hunt down evil and you know, the Armageddon and all this sort of thing. I'm a fellow pilgrim. It's sure as blue suede shoes or something. So. Uh, and I think well, that's that's really good because it's just a nice little, a lovely little character moment, a little detail. Doesn't add anything to the story, but adds so much to the characters. Adds so much to I'm the so like, glad, the I'm so glad of the you, film. I'm so glad you brought up that scene because I'd almost forgotten that. And I was, it was one of my favourite scenes in the film. I guess a brilliant scene. And if there were kind of more of that mm. in Halloween, in horror films generally, mm. more of that just little character detail, yeah. I think would be better because oh, it's yeah. just it's just a nice little scene. And somebody whoever's written, I don't know. This film's got five million writers, so I don't know which one of them yeah. wrote that scene. But it's just. It just adds to it, I think, and just makes Loomis a bit more human. And makes that him a bit scene more is in Dan, uh, Alan McElroy's first round. Okay, exactly. That's him. I just my note was um, I like it when Loomis makes a friend. Yeah, it's yeah. Interesting he doesn't really have friends. No, Loomis is sort of you know. portrayed as being even in the first film a yeah. little bit mad or certainly obsessive. Yeah. Right? Uh, and we don't know anything about his private life when he's mm, married. Like, just have one presumably or anything. And so. And he's always very serious, but it has to be because he's hunting down psychopathic murderers. But in this, you just know, he's, he's just, oh, right, this is good. I'm just having a lift and I can talk with this guy and just relax and just, you know. And I just really love that moment. I think it adds so much. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons I like this film, uh, when I watched it again recently for this, I thought, yeah, that's, that's good. A bit of thought's gone into this. A little yeah. bit of care's gone into this. Perhaps a bit more than, yeah. than some of the others. And certainly like Friday the 13th sequels where yeah. we don't get anything like that. Yeah. You know, this is just a nice little... Thing. And you've got a good act like Donald, great act like yeah, Donald Pleasance, yeah. you need to give him something to do yeah, anyway. Yeah. So. I think you can tell he's enjoying it. Yeah. I think it's funny how um, y- your attitude ch- change over time, because I didn't like that scene when I saw it when I was 16 mm. or whatever, and I could tell that that's what they were going for. Oh, it's a character moment, yeah, they're yeah. trying to soften the character, but I just mm. thought, but it's not very good though, is it? It's not very well acted or well written. Mm. I hate this film. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas now I do find it quite charming. Yeah. I think it's very charming. I think it's very. I read an interview from 1988 from the set with Donald Pleasance where they asked him why he'd come back and he gave a great quote, which was, I was available, the money was good, and I think they'd struggle to make this film without me. <laughs> it is interesting kind of Pleasance's sort of roles in all the sequels, but even in the first film, he doesn't do that much. It's really about Jamie Lee Curtis versus Michael Myers, and Lewis is just there just to. Yeah. Let everybody know how terrible Michael yeah. Myers is, but he doesn't really do it. He sort of he's, he does more of the exposition. Really. Yeah, he's, he's the explaining, yeah. and he's sort of there, and he's, he's a, a big name to sort of sell the film. Mm. Uh, and in all the films, he's sort of like he kind of like he's not he's there, but he's not like the main yeah. one. And Ellie Cornell is the main one. Daniel mm. Harris is the main one. He's just there to sort of keep he keeps sort of appearing and sort of. Mm. But he's great. He's brilliant because he's a brilliant actor. But 
it's sort of like, and he is the star. It's Donald Pleasant's in yeah. Yeah. this film. But it's, he, he's know, very much in a supporting role. Yeah, it's a support, yeah. it's a character part yeah. that he's, you know. But the, because of the action, more action-y nature of the film, I think he gets a bit more to do because yeah. he is yeah. following the gods around, shouting at them, kind of. Well, I mean, that's yeah, the well, he's, same, he's there, but he's, he's not but sort of like shouting at the one cop. <laughs> he, he gets. He also gets thrown through a wall at one point. There's a. Is that is it the petrol station? No, no um, oh yeah, yeah no. This, I, think, I do remember him diving about in, in the yes, um, he sort of flies <laughs> into some dustbin. Uh, I thought, hmm, did Donald Pleasant? <laughs> I'm absolutely sure he did. Um, and in um, the school scene later on, Michael Myers suddenly appears and grabs him and throws him through. Oh yes, yeah, so, yeah, I remember. Yeah, and he's out of it for a while. Yeah, and you kind of think, is he dead? But then he does appear at the end. Uh, I, I quite like the whole hillbilly kind of. Everyone gets. They're like, my commander's back. We're gonna go kill him. Protect him. Well, not, that's something else I like this film. The, the idea of what, how Michael Myers has affected this town. Yeah. And what the people like. Twenty years after it's happened, what yeah. that, well, they're all kind of gun tops. Yeah. They're all even after twenty years, they're yeah. all. The serial killer came and did all these terrible things, mm. and we're all ever since then we've all been sort of like heads up about it and all kind of really it, trigger it, happy. It and feels like a small town, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I mean, in the first one as well, like there, there is no response. No, really, no. this one cop Loomis, and that's it. So again, they want to kind of up the ante with the film in, in action terms as well. So that's why they, they, you know, they get a group together. Let's lynch him. Let's yeah. go and lynch him. You know, the, the sher- I think the sheriff's actually quite good in this. Um, I think he's great. Yeah. Both stars are yeah. also in Goodfellas. Yeah. Yes, of course um, he is. He, he's terrific, I think. And I was really pleased. I enjoyed his performance when I first watched it. And I was pleased that he will be coming back in the following film. Oh right! Oh, is he still going? Yeah, he, yeah, he is. Yeah, he does. He does. Oh no, sorry. I'm, I mean, I'm talking about Halloween Five. He comes. Oh right! Here. I thought I thought he was going to be in the new, new, new one. No, uh, alas, he should. One of, one of my one of my favourite bits from him is uh, uh, so uh, Rachel's Rachel's boyfriend. Uh, and uh, Kathleen Kimmont's character sleeping together and what have you in the, in the sheriff's house. He's like, you want me to sleep with you in the sheriff's house? <laughs> and it's like, he's like, yeah, come on. And like, okay, and then, you know, I have this very soft, soft and... Soft uh, focus. Soft focus, and I love seeing in front of the fire, very, you know, erotic thriller as well. The sheriff's, very all, the sheriff's always live as well. <laughs> the sheriff's never get murdered. That's an interesting mm. point, because in the, the first draft script, he does die. Really? In the house, yeah. Oh, okay. I, I do like, and again, I, I like that. I like when they get back into the house, they're all kind of like, yeah, that's very aliens as well. They all mm. kind of like, they tool up and they mm. secure the house, like, make sure. <laughs> but my favourite bit is when the sheriff's like, right, do you know, he, he, he just kind of, he, they walk in, they find, you know, just the uh, Kathleen Kimmont and the boyfriend. It's Brad, you said Bradley? Or Brady. Brady, sorry. Um, so they're there. Sheriff doesn't take any notice. He's just like, right, we've got to lock these doors. We've got to secure the windows. We've got to get the guns. We've got to stock up, all that. And then uh, he's like, hey, Brady, do you know how to use one of these? He's like, um, yeah, sure, I can I can use a gun. And then uh, just as a second thought, and just before Brady goes, he goes, touch my daughter again. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing. Is that, but it's also nice that Brady kind of becomes a hero. Yeah, he tries yeah, to stop yeah. him. And he's sort of yeah. been like the... Yeah, it's been the douchebag of the film. Yeah, he has yeah. been sort of unsympathetic. You know, he's, he's yeah. being faithful to Rachel. We all love Rachel, so we all. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but then he sort of like becomes a bit heroic, and yeah. that's yeah, kind of like a nice little thing. Again, yeah. somebody it's what they call these days a character arc. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's got his own arc. Yeah, yeah. An arc de triomphe. <laughs> so again, it's his face crush for doing it. But it's, it does, uh, yeah. It does. And again, the face crushing is not a special effect. No, that was that was the thing, wasn't it? So it's basically just going like that. You can't see yeah. that. Yeah, George, George, just grabbed his face yeah. and 
tweaked his nose, <laughs> and, and he went. Oh, I just, rem- I just remembered sound effects. I just remembered Kathleen Kimmont's death in this. Oh yeah. <laughs> There's the rocking chair, isn't it, with the gun? He's got the gun. She's yeah. like, I thought you could use some coffee. Yeah. He puts the coffee a... down and then sees the dead, the dead deputy at the side and like. Oh. Turns around, it's Michael, and he has a gun. And most you would think, you would assume with with a gun, there's there's one way to use that, and one way to to kill a living being with that. But no, Michael takes it one step further, shoves the gun into her, and then into the wall over the fireplace, the wall, pinions to the like the first oh, film. He likes to do that. He likes to pin people to walls. Yeah, but that's obviously the best item to pin a person to a wall. Exactly. It's a twelve ball yeah. shot. Yeah, and, and, I mean. <laughs> Like, it must have taken some feat of strength <laughs> to not, do that. It's not like you'd have anything else to do with the gun yeah. later. At any <laughs> no, point. no or, so. or, 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 you know, you could... He liked, I guess he likes it up close and personal. <laughs> well, uh, I think it is. But that's the thing about... You know, I was reading about slasher films. The definition of slasher film is the killer invariably uses blades, mm. knives and things, rather mm. than guns or anything else. Mm. So it's, it's got to be that sort of stabbing. Yeah. There's yeah. some significance to that. Penetrative. Yeah. I wouldn't like to say. But that's what defines a slasher yeah. film, is that it's, people are always being yeah, stabbed. True. Or, yeah, true. Cut on someone. So, I guess that's more an action film thing, if it's, yeah. uh, if it's a gun. Yeah. I guess even, even, a, even a maniac cop, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't really use guns. So. Oh, yeah, that's true. Mm. That's, that's a film we should... Do podcasts. I've never seen it, so. Yeah. Got Bruce Campbell. Yeah. Bruce, Bruce Campbell and Tom Atkins. Yes. That's the value. Mm. Um, and um, a Maniac Comp, as, <laughs> as the title suggests. So, um, we're, we're coming to the end of our time. So, I just want to have a, a. I think we've covered most of the things that we're enthusiastic about and interested about in this movie. I, I just want to think a little bit about the way it's made. Um, as I mentioned when I first saw it, um, I was kind of disappointed by the production standard. I didn't think it matched the previous movies in the series. And watching it again, um, especially now these days, you can see things on Blu-rays in perfect quality, and you don't have to deal with pan and scan and faded print and all that. It looks much better than I remembered. But you can still tell that the people making it, I think they're making it with sincerity. They don't yeah. have much money, but they're trying to sincerely recreate what John Carpenter did. Um, and uh, Although they're doing it in Utah, because it's it was cheaper to film in Utah than in LA. Um, but I think that no one's fault. They just aren't as talented as John Carpenter and Dean Cundy and all those people. No. Um, who is? And, and they mm. just can't quite do it. It yeah. doesn't... The visual. I mean, for instance, there's um, there's some interestingly staged moments. Like there's a moment where there's four Michael Myers. Yeah, no, that's that's a good. Yeah, I, I like that. That's kind of again, that's one of those little touches that just makes it a bit more distinctive than mm. perhaps some of the others. Mm. And when they run the hillbillies, they shoot the wrong. That's well, right. I, that, uh, I love and, that bit. I love and that. And again, moment. that's like that's how Haddonfield's been affected. Yeah. Everybody's sort of like, and that's a second innocent it's, person. It becomes a, it becomes like a, it becomes like not a witch hunt, mm. not, not a season of the witch, but a witch hunt. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really, yeah, I really the, like that kind of. Once with this, what was it for? Michael Myers. I think it's, that's really good. I think it's one of my favourite sort of acting moments in the movie as well, where uh, uh, the sheriff maker says. God damn it, Loomis, you just created a lynch mob. Yeah. And he goes, you haven't got a police force! <laughs> He's got a good point, though. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, it's so, so, well, Loomis is perhaps sort of, he doesn't care if there's a lynch mob. No. As long as Michael Myers is killed, it killed, doesn't matter how. Killed, captured, right, let the vigilantes get hold of him. But no, but he, as long as... He's making a good point as well, though, because Michael Myers has just killed the entire police force <laughs> of the town. I know, I know yeah. you referenced uh, aliens in regards to, like, 
the feel of this but i also feel a bit it's got a little bit of a terminator 2 vibe as well you know okay. the, you know like, yeah, or, or you know or terminator as well i mean the, the killing of all the police officers in yeah, the police yeah, station yeah, there's again it's a a remorseless killer that will absolutely will not stop until yeah, you yeah. are dead um you know uh, so there are there are kind of similarities well, there i think between. i think halloween 2 started the transformation of michael myers into a terminator like yeah, figure yeah. with the slow walk and everything mm. you know which he didn't really have in the no film. no well he was kind of he would just appear wouldn't yeah. he the first few times he would appear and then he would just kind of walk as you would normally do and, yeah you know um, but yeah no you're right you're right um he does seem very robotic. At the end of the first film, hmm. when she takes his mask off, you are reminded that this is a human being. It's not, yeah, it's person. a real guy. Yeah. You know, and, and a young person. But as the films have gone on, it's just like he is a robot. And yeah. there's, mm. there's nothing under that mask. Yeah. Just, you know, it's just, just a remorseless killing machine. Yes, who cannot be killed. Mm. The other element of the film that is arguably they're trying to recreate from previous uh, movies is the music. Uh, John Carpenter uh, wasn't involved in the score. The score is done by Alan Howarth, mm-hmm. who had cooperated with Carpenter on two and three, but now he's doing the score on his own, but using John Carpenter's original motifs for yeah. the original score. What do we think about that? I don't. I don't think it was. Obviously, it's not as good. No, it's not like, as good. Like we said, like we said, it's just a film though. Either. They are trying their best. I think they're giving it their best try. And I think this is literally them trying their absolute best and coming out with the best they possibly can. But it isn't as good. Um, I think it was. I'm not sure. I can't really remember if I'm confused it with some of the other ones. But I think the use of the music and when it's used, it's sometimes like after Michael appears. So like yeah. there'll be a stab or a killing or something, and then it'll be and then it'll play. And I'm and sometimes I'm thinking. I'm like, oh, it could be nice if we had the theme very gently here, yeah. or, or just, or just before he was going to appear, or, or we think he's going to appear, and then you know it's a fake out or something like that. But yeah, I think, I think that's a very delicate balance to find when to use that, you know, iconic theme. Um, so I'm not sure, but uh, I mean, I, I think that the original score is so spare, like we said, mm. it's just two or three pieces of music used repeatedly mm. kind of throughout. And Alan Howarth obviously is a bit of a sophisticated composer, and mm. he he no longer has to do what John says. Yeah. So he's coming up with his own bits in between, yeah. and he's using bits of John's stuff. So mm. so what it lacks as a result is that kind of driving sense of yeah. the same thing, the kind of building of suspense. Yeah. Because of the. I do quite like some of the alterations of it. I don't, I don't think it's. Bad. No, it's, it's a bit more jazz stuff, isn't you know, it? Well, it has the, um, in a late 80s kind of style, it has syndromes. Yeah. I think if you listen yeah, to the, the theme on the end credits, you can hear the kind of thing under it. And all that is good, but what it just made me kind of realise is that I don't think you can add anything to it. I think the minimalism is the point of it. Yeah. I almost would have just been worth coming up with something new, possibly. No. Well, there yeah, is that. I mean, this is the thing about sequels. is always a problem. How much do you keep from the yeah. first film, the film that's a sequel to, and how much do you add that's new? And, you know, the audience want to see what they enjoyed from the first film in, in the next film, in the sequel. But at the same time, you have to do something new, different, fresh to it, and sort of so different music as much as anything else. And that just doesn't quite, you know, I, I 
thought the music was okay. Yeah. Isn't, I, I, it, it sort of... No, I think it, it's fine. Um, I do like Alan Howarth, you know, and I think later on in the, the later collaborations he does with Carpenter, um, Halloween 3, uh, They Live, Prince of Darkness, mm. there's loads of good stuff that, yeah. that they, they obviously are a good team. Mm. Um, the thing is, the Halloween film is so memorable and it's so distinctive mm. and it's so, that word iconic, everybody uses it. But, you know, what you, you change it, then you're changing something that's really sort of, really kind of perfect in a way. And so, how far can you change it? Then? Like the Jaws music, you sort of like, yes. you can't, what can you do with it? Because it's so good. I, I'll tell you what, though. <laughs> you can um, play it again. Yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> Jaws yeah. the Revenge is mocked, but listen to that opening theme tune. It's yeah. so good. Mm-hmm. It's Michael, Michael Small taking the original Jaws theme and running with it, and yeah. it's great. Oh. Um, maybe the last thing that we should mention is the end of the movie. I mean, this movie ah, yeah. was a success. They brought back Michael Myers. Oh, God, I haven't mentioned my my fun fact that I always notice most about Halloween 4. Have you noticed it's called Halloween 4, not Halloween IV, The Return of Michael Myers? Because the... Previous films all used Roman numerals. Oh, okay. Why is that? I haven't noticed that. The mar- <laughs> market research led them to believe that American kids wouldn't know what IV meant. Even though Rocky IV and Star Trek IV had And all the WrestleManias. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I learned yeah. Roman numerals. 1988, I think, was WrestleMania four. I think, because I had yeah. that on video. There so, yeah. Um, yeah, so they, they they made that change and they stuck with it through the rest of the series then. Um, at least until the Rob Zombie. I think they missed a trick not hiring Andre the Giant yes. to play <laughs> Michael Myers. <laughs> well, again, Rob Zombie almost did the next no. best thing. Um, Don't mention Rob Zombie. But, um, so yeah, so on that budget of $5 million, it hmm. took a US box office of nearly $18 million. So... Basically, it's not. It's still not the massive yeah. profit margin of the first film, but they're back on track. Yeah, they're happy. Well, actually, you know what? Are they back on track? Mm. Because Halloween Three, which they considered a failure, cost two and a half million, and made a US box office total of twenty-five million. Still pretty. That's good. Whereas this one cost five million and made a US box office total of nearly eighteen million. So you know what? It's actually performed less well. Yeah. But, but I guess if people felt so snubbed by the third one, they yeah. wouldn't have returned for a fourth one. Yeah, I guess the the word of mouth was good, yeah. which is yeah. why they wanted to... I mean, those days were all about video sales as well, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. that's true. They Are you going to talk about the ending? Well, mm-hmm. yes, but because, um, because this film was a success, they wanted to do a sequel as soon as possible. But there is a very particular ending to Halloween 4, mm. which might have affected that. Let's Scuffed talk about the ending of Halloween We are allowed to talk about the ending, we're not going to... Spoilers for this for this uh, well, happily ever thirty year old film. Uh, that's <laughs> uh, as old as me. Yeah, we're, <laughs> blimey, uh, younger than me. Um, well, I see. I don't know what the idea was. What was the idea was that Michael Myers was dead, and then the little girl was going to take over, well, and she was going to be the murderer, or was that going to be the end of it? So it looks like Michael Myers has been killed. It. Um, Loomis I don't believe is there at the end, <laughs> even though it also looked like he'd been killed earlier. Mm. He seems fine. But then you have a sequence where you've got a deliberate imitation at the start of the first film yeah, where you have a point of view shot of someone wearing a mask killing someone. Um, in fact, Jamie's foster mother. And then in the reverse shot, we are revealed exactly Jamie wearing the little clown costume that, that Michael wore at the start of the first film. And Donald Pleasance does an amazing, no! <laughs> 
<laughs> thing when he sees that. Favorite. Uh, that's my, I think Mike's favourite no that I've ever heard is, is the Donald Presses. <laughs> no! Yeah. I've heard a few no's in my time. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely the least painful. Uh, yeah, no, so was that the idea? Because, I mean, we all know Halloween by that stage is yeah. all about Michael Myers. Mm. We're not even going to do Halloween scenes because Michael Myers and the idea mm. that, that they had a the similar, next year was going to be a Taylor girl with running the... around with a, a knife it seems... Well, the thing is, it's not that... It's not that crazy an idea. There's a lot of films with, you know, short or, you know, childlike, scary antagonists. It's not entirely without precedent that it it could have gone. It could have, it could have. And Donald Pleasant said that's what the way they should have gone. Yeah. The next film they should have had. But, you know, you just think, well, Michael Myers isn't dead. He's fallen down a hole. He's going to get up again at some point. So, you know, what was the idea? There's a lot of shotguns that went into <laughs> So I don't think it's, it's, it's a strange ending. It, it's, it's the twist ending you've got to have in mm. horror films. You've got to have the shock ending. But it's where it was going to lead on to, I know I'm not quite I, I sure. Think it, I think they made it without a firm intention to a sequel. And, mm. it, and it's the director's attempt to create a memorable finish. Yeah. And, and to leave you with that sense of... Uh, continuing danger that mm. you had at the end of the film. Well, yeah, if it yeah. wasn't going to be another sequel, yes, it's a great ending. Yeah. Like, evil always survives. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. It's passed down from one generation to the next. Mm. And if that's it, but... But then Mustafa again said, we're making another movie next month. <laughs> so is that, Was it that yeah. quick? Um, it was within a year that it came wow. out. Wow. Yeah. That's, so. yeah. Quick turnaround. that's what then. we will be discussing next, next time. Next time. So, that was Halloween 4, and we've gone into more detail on that movie than perhaps anyone else ever in history. <laughs> so. I think it's good. I mean, within the limitations it's got, and all sequels have got limitations, yes. and all, certainly all slasher sequels have got limitations, give it, it's yeah. very, very good. I think it's very well made. It's yeah, got... I'd give it like a three, three and a half stars, probably. Yeah, I'd give it a, no, how many, out of how many? Out of uh, five. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah I'd give it Standard five. Three. Yeah, three. It's, uh, it's Halloween. It's not a, ba- it's not a bad movie. Five. It's definitely not a bad no, movie. No, no, it's enjoyable. I like Ellie Cornell a lot. I, th- I think you're always like going to compare Daniel it. Daniel Harris is a great... I, I think it's it's a fun yarn. I yeah. think mm-hmm. if you compare it to the original, it, it just evaporates. No. <laughs> but... Um, it's it's fine by itself. Yes, um, and but that's true of all the other sequels as well. We now well, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Let's yeah. let's get we'll get to them. I'm yeah, sure. we'll get to them. We, and we now live in a, a universe where the Halloween franchise has so many different timelines that in a way it doesn't matter what any of the individual sequels are like because the the following one yeah. probably exists in a different universe. Yeah. So you know, just take... Cont- continuity is a bugger. Yes. Yeah. So. Guys, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Harold. Yes, thank you, thank you, Dan, for my, coming. My, my pleasure. Thank yes. you for having me. I uh, hope you enjoyed my acting. <laughs> no, it's marvellous. And uh, hopefully we'll have even more of that. So, mm-hmm. And more of your nose. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for listening, everybody. Next time, we will be talking about, spoilers, Halloween 5 from 1989. They made another one? <laughs>
Well, welcome back, folks. I'm, I hope that I'm not the only one who enjoyed listening again to my own opinions from two <laughs> years ago about a movie made 22 years ago. Um, that's the kind of cutting-edge podcast I like to run. Um, <laughs> but also, it's really nice to, to hear Howard and, uh, and Spider-Dan on the show, um, even in archival form. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, and it even listening to this kind of thing always makes me want to watch the movie in question again, which yeah. is... Definitely. Uh, I, I don't know if... Uh, I mean, ev- that even seems to be the case if, I, if it's not a movie that I particularly liked. But, you yeah. know, it's it's hearing other people's viewpoints on it and um, and people picking out things which maybe you hadn't noticed. Oh, yeah, for um, sure. It's that another pair of eyes, isn't it? Fresh eyes on it. That's, yeah. Makes you see it from a slightly different angle sometimes. But, yeah, I agree. Which is kind of what the reason why I wanted to do this series of reviews mm. on all the Halloween films because I'm not a fan of all the Halloween films, but well, I suppose I am. I discovered that I, th- I think I'm not, but <laughs> I am because yeah. <laughs> you know I, I I I profess not to like some of them, but at the same time I have seen them all and know about all of them. Yeah. Um, so therefore I'm a fan, and and I think I decided well I should stop being jaded about this and and. <laughs> give myself an opportunity to look at these films afresh so yeah. um that's what we did and and um and i enjoyed doing that and i suppose you know as the listener will have just heard um in coming uh, halloween 4 was a movie that i didn't like at all when i was younger and and watching it again i came around to appreciate it more mm. and and also talking about it with howard and dan really helped with that as well so um so yeah, yeah i mean that so it it, it converted a bit of bitterness from my past into warmth. <laughs> so, you know, it was a, it's a good personal thing to do for me. I hope once again the listener feels privileged to be a, um, a part of my own personal ongoing therapy. <laughs> Your own and, journey. Uh, personality realignment. So, there we go. <laughs> All right. So, um, our traditional thing to do at the end of the episode is to just recommend... Um, stuff that's coming up. Um, I, I think we've both got recommendations for this week. Stella, mm. do you want to go first? Yeah, so my recommendation is um, the third season of the Canadian anthology Slasher is on Netflix. Now, I must admit that I noticed it was on Netflix yesterday or the day before. Um, it might have actually been there for a bit longer, um, so I do apologise if I'm being a bit slow on the uptake with this. However, um it is a slasher, it is a serial, but it's anthology, so each season is a new story. Um, it's by Aaron Martin, excuse me. Um, it was on Chiller, which was a subscription channel, and then Superb Channel in Canada, and now it's on Netflix. Um, and for a slasher series, I think it's really, really good. Um, the first series is a sort of a traditional family slasher, family problems coming back to bite people on the ass. Um, the second series is called uh, Guilty Party, and that's a summer camp. Um, and then the third series appears to be called Solstice. Um, and I've not, obviously, I've not watched it yet, but I'm going to watch it. And the thing that I thought about Slasher and why I liked it so much in terms of, well, I like Slashers anyway, but with this one, for TV Slasher, I thought it had some really, really well set up and quite elaborate set priest deaths, particularly in um, season two, Guilty Party. There's some excellent, excellent deaths in it, and I won't spoil any of them for you, but there, some of them are 
yeah, they really went for it with the deaths and the the excessiveness and the showboating, I guess, of the uh, the slasher kills. So if you like that, then do have a look at it. Like I say, it's an anthology, so it changes every season, so it's not going to uh, get dull. But yeah, season three is there. Go watch. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. So that's Netflix. Yes, Netflix. Oh, that was great. So easily accessible for many of us. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Okay, so my recommendation is a movie that you and I saw at Grimfest a couple of years Ooh. ago, Stella, called The Witch in the Window. Do you remember this? I do. American yes. ghost story written and directed by Andy Mitten. Um, and it's on Shudder now, right. I've I've noticed. So um, linking back to um, our chat at the beginning of today's yeah. episode, um, you know, it's there. If any of you are thinking about um, taking out uh, a free trial with Shudder to see host or for any other reason, try and check out The Witch in the Window as well. Mm. It's basically an old-fashioned, character-based, kind of slow-moving, subtly creepy ghost story, drama, really, about a father and son who move into a new um, home in uh, rural uh, Vermont, I think it yeah. is. Um, in the middle of nowhere, obviously. Yeah, in the <laughs> middle of nowhere. They're basically... Uh, planning to renovate the barn, I think. Yeah. Um, and as they do this, they disturb a spirit, um, the spirit of the previous owner. Um, and um, increasingly, this spirit seems to kind of reawaken and be trying to take control of their lives. And, and mm. I, I won't say any more than that, but it is um, a charming film, which is a funny word to use for a horror movie. <laughs> But, we both um, enjoyed it though, didn't we? I seem to remember. Yeah, it was yeah. it was on the list of things of the day that at, at Grimfest when we saw it there, it was on the list of things that we were like when it when the titles rolled we went, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Other, yeah. It was, it was like that, yeah. <laughs> it was one of the better ones of twenty eighteen. Mm. Um, as I remember, you know, we did an episode about all the twenty nineteen films. Yeah. This was before the podcast though, but um but yeah, I do remember that was one of the better ones of the day. You know, always there's, well, I say always, it's not like I've got a huge amount of experience going to these kind of festivals, but, you know, there tends to be two or three um, movies that kind of, um, uh, that that stand out from yeah. the crowd of films that you see in that very intense day, and I think yeah, it's an intense day, isn't it? was one of those. Uh, yes, it is. Um, like, but, and also, oh, go on, sorry, Stella. Is it like... 16 hours straight of horror films, something uh, like that. It starts at 10am and 10, finishes it's... about 10. Well, it, I think we tend to leave at about 10. Um, yeah, we, we for, leave for the last film so we can both get home on yeah, public so, transport because we're tight. Um, yes. <laughs> but yeah, I think it must finish at about 1 o'clock. Yeah, 12 Because the last film doesn't yeah. come on until 11, does it? Oh, that's so, right. Oh, yeah. It's, it's so, a long, it's a long day. And by the time I get home, I'm definitely square-eyed. <laughs> and you've um, and wired. The only thing breaking up the films really, apart from like ten-minute breaks, um, is occasionally they'll have a Q and A with one of the filmmakers. Yeah. Apart from that, it's pretty much straight through. Yeah, um, it's one straight of the re- through. Another reason The Witch in the Window made a good impression on us, I think, apart from that it was a decent film in <laughs> itself, was that the writer and director, Andy Metin, was there to talk yeah. about it. Yeah. And um, he came across as really likeable, I remember. Yeah. And, and it's, um, you know, it's just quite an imaginative, well-told story with 
characters that you like and care about, which is yeah. it's kind of the basic thing that you ask for from a movie, isn't it? <laughs> In really? any movie. Um, so, yeah. But yeah, I, I remember enjoying it and it being, well, not being a particularly groundbreaking ghost story. Like, like you said, it was well written and really tight and had enough creepiness and not quite jump scares, but, you know, enough enough about it for it to to warrant it being sat there in the middle of a horror movie festival when it was surrounded yeah. by films like wasn't the one after it the one with the little nazi toys oh yeah the puppet masters <laughs> the littlest right yeah, yeah. oh yeah. god <laughs> um, i quite enjoyed the puppet masters um as a, I didn't, as I didn't. a bit of daft fun but um yeah yeah it was definitely daft fun but there were a and, in you know, serious I, bad taste as well. Yeah, serious bad taste. And I would consider myself as someone who can handle watching most things. You know, I think I've got a strong stomach. I think I can handle most stuff. But there was a few scenes in that where I was definitely having to close my eyes. So it was like, oh, my God, right. this is too much. Or maybe it's because of the last film of the day for us before we left. Maybe I was all horrored out, if that's possible. No, it's right. not possible. I think the film was just, <laughs> just particularly grim in some places. Yeah, that was that. Oh my god, don't do that! Don't do that! Oh, you're doing that! All right then. <laughs> yeah, there, there was not a lot to warm the heart there, really. Um, <laughs> even though, and um, sorry, this is like totally off topic of our recommendations, but I do <laughs> remember liking the fact that Barbara Crampton was in that movie. Yeah. And then yeah. she turned up in person at the festival to do a yeah. little talk afterwards, and me and you had to just go, "Sorry, bye. We're, bye. <laughs> we're running for our boss." So, like, yeah. So, Barbara Crampton experienced that walk of shame f- feeling that many <laughs> stand-up comedian. Oh, people are leaving! Oh my god, what's wrong <laughs> well, with me? We should have just shouted, "We've got to get the bus." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm it's too very big for a taxi. To pr- Sorry. To protect Barbara Crampton's feelings after all these years, we all love her. <laughs> So much, after all. Um, so, so yeah. So that's that's yeah. my recommendation for this week. So basically, we've been bigging up Shudder this week. So that's yeah. new territory for us. Uh, so. Yeah, not sponsored. If, you, if anyone from Shudder is listening and you do want to sponsor us, <laughs> then do hell, it. hell yes, we can be bought. We have a price, the, and, and it's pretty low. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably, it's probably shockingly low. I shudder to think. Oh my god, pun unintended. Hey um, dear. All right, this is this this is gone. <laughs> this has gone off the boil. I think it's to wrap this up. Uh, as much fun as it is. All right, thank you so much, Stella. You're welcome. Uh, thank you, listeners. Uh, thank you for, um, and thank you to Howard and and Dan, Spider Dan, for, yeah. for for recording with us all those years ago. <laughs> Next week they'll be back from the past as we talk about a film which, before going in to talk about it, I would probably have uh, pegged as perhaps the least interesting Halloween sequel, Halloween Five. Halloween um, Five. I don't think I've seen that one. All right. Okay. All right, so um, I'll 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 have a look, and then I'll have a listen. I think um, be my you homework. might be you might be able to get a hold of it quite easily. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you, if you look in, I'll just say the usual places. Ah. Yeah. Um, and uh, but but no, I enjoyed um, listening to us talk about it again. So yeah. anyway, we'll see what you think uh, next week. All right, folks. Thanks very All much right. for listening. 
and uh, you'll hear from us again soon. Bye-bye. Bye. You have been listening to And Now the Podcast Starts. Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited. Presented by T.D. Velasquez, Stella Gaynor, and Howard Whittock. With special guest, Spider Dan. Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web, www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages at andnowpod or at leecushingpod. Follow us on Twitter at andnowpodcast or at leecushingpodcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash and now podcast and now the podcast stops